0: I'm going to start a series today, just two weeks. And uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time, knowing Easter was coming. And here's my intent uh, this Sunday and next Sunday is that this would prepare our hearts for Easter. Um, As we start thinking about Easter, and listen, this is the biggest day in the life of a Christian. Easter is what it's all about. Jesus dying on a cross, being buried in the ground. Being risen from the dead is why we are here today. That's it. It's because we had a God, we had a creator that loved us enough to send his own son to die on a cross for your sins and for mine and to show us that he has, he has given us victory over everything and anything we could ever imagine. So I want our hearts and our minds as a church and as a body to go that direction over the next couple of weeks until we, until we hit Easter Sunday, which is April the 8th. Today I'm going to look at, well today and next week, we're going to look at some of the phrases and some of the things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And you could take these phrases and draw so much out of them. What Jesus said are so full of things and so full of information and so full of meaning for me and you in our everyday life. Jesus went through, not only hanging on the cross, but as he was on earth, Jesus went through everything that any of you have ever went through or ever will go through. He encountered and felt every emotion that you have ever felt or ever will feel. He has been tempted in the same ways that you will be or have ever been tempted. And the list can go on and on. And Jesus reveals some of these things by the phrases that he says from the cross. Today in Matthew uh, chapter 27, Jesus is hanging on the cross and it begins to describe the setting. And in verse 37, we'll pick up right there, it says this. It says, above Jesus' head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And they begin to mock him as he's hanging on the cross. Jesus has already been beaten and has went through the trial and all of these things, and he's hanging on the cross. They put this sign up, and they're saying, you are the king of the Jews, and it's not in a way of saying, look, look, this is the king of the Jews. It's done in a mocking way. It's like, look at this guy. He thinks, and other people think, that he is the king of the Jews. They're beginning to mock him. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And we're going to look at these two robbers next week. Verse 39, it says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. They begin to mock him and make fun of him and say, You are going to destroy the temple build it in 3 days now why don't if you think you can do that don't you think that you can save yourself come down from the cross if you were the son of god and they were quoting what he had earlier talked about in his prophecy when he was kind of prophesying and they were saying look if you think you're the son of god then why don't you come down off of the cross verse 41 in the same way the chief priests the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. And then the next four words is what we're going to talk about today and are so profound and so, so meaningful and reveal so much. It says, He trusts in God. He trusts in God. In other words, they were saying this to Jesus. If you trust in God, if you trust in your Father, and by the way, that's what we all say as a Christian. We proclaim it, we sing it, we think it. We don't always follow through perfectly, right? But that's where we are. That's where we're supposed to be. And Jesus has said this over and over. Everybody knows. And they say, he trusts in God. In other words, they're saying, if you trust in God, where is he at right now? Why is he not showing up? If you trust in him so much, and he's so great, and he's so good, where is he at? In this dark, dark hour. Then they say, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Where is your God now, is what they were saying. And here's the thing. If you and I would be there, would have been there, if you and I would have been present, we would probably have a lot of the same feelings and thoughts, is oh my goodness. And you know what? The disciples were struggling with this whole thing. Where in the world is God at? We thought Jesus was the King of Kings, we thought Jesus was going to reign, we thought he was gonna sit on a throne, we thought he was the answer, we thought he was the Messiah. And look at him now. He's hanging on the cross. He's not only hanging on the cross, is he has allowed them to beat him. And we know the we know the story. They whipped Jesus with a whip. Brutally with a whip that had Chunks of lead and glass, and they would literally lay his back. When they would use these whips, they would lay a person's back open and take literally hunks of flesh out of their back. And many times, their internal organs were exposed. I mean, he was beaten. They blindfolded him. The soldiers would blindfold him and they would wear these great big signet rings, these huge rings. And they would smack him in the face and then they would mock him and say, now who do you think that was that hit you? And they beat him to a pulp. They pulled out his beard. They spit in his face. And then they put a a crown of thorns on his head and pressed it into his scalp to mock him as a king. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. And he was hanging on the cross. And as people walked by, they looked at him and it said, where in the world is your God now? And the disciples scattered and, and, and fled. The people that were the closest to him were having some of the same thoughts just like me and you would. We thought... This doesn't line up with what we thought. This doesn't line up with we thought, how we thought God operated. We never saw this coming. Where is your God? We thought you God was trustworthy. History also tells us not only did they beat him and do all these horrific things, that they would have probably stripped him down naked. Jesus was stripped down naked, hanging on a cross, completely humiliated here's something else I just learned the other day and I don't mean to be chorus or crude or anything like that but it just further tells us how horrible this situation was you know at one point Jesus cries out that he's thirsty and the Bible tells us that they found a sponge and stuck it on a stick and they, and they uh, dipped it in vinegar And they put it to his lips. Do you guys know what that sponge was? Most likely what that sponge was, they would have these public restrooms that were for the wealthiest, wealthiest people in the town. And they would sit on these marble toilets, basically, in a public restroom, and slaves would clean them with a sponge on a stick. And when they first started doing it, they were spreading diseases, and so they figured out a different way. They would clean a person, and then they would dip it in wine vinegar, and then they would clean the next person. That is exactly, the soldiers would also take these sticks with sponges on them into battle. And historians believe that is exactly what was used to be brought to Jesus' face. It was further humiliation. It was not an act of kindness, and it was not an act of mercy in the middle of a horrific story. And people were observing this and they were walking by and they were thinking where is your God at? Even the people that loved him and believed in him saw what had happened to him and said how can a God who is trustworthy how is a God who is supposedly good allow this to happen? Where is he at? Where is your God at? Trust Trust simply means this. It means to have full and complete confidence. Complete trust. See, for you and I and for the people back then, it's very easy to trust God when things are good, isn't it? It's, it's easy to have an amazing God when things are good. It's easy to raise your hand and praise the Lord when there's light in your life. It's easy to glorify him and magnify his name and lift him up when things are going good. See, the challenge for you and I is is where does our trust go and what happens to our trust when the darkness comes? Do we really trust God? Do we really trust God? And see, here's the thing that we have to understand is very Early in our story, all the way back in Genesis, the serpent came along, and his whole idea and his whole uh, scheme was to undermine our trust, the humans' trust in God. And he asked Adam and Eve, and he said, "Did God really mean what he said? Are you really sure that God is trustworthy in what he said? Do you really think that if you eat of the fruit?" that there'll be consequences. And he began to undermine our trust and undermine our confidence. It's very easy to trust him when it's light. It's so much more difficult to trust him when life goes dark. You know what? As I was getting ready for this sermon, I just had to think of all of the things that has happened in this group over the last couple of months. We've had some hard things happen. Mel and Lil lost a son. A son that they loved. They lost him in a way that there's just no explanation hardly. It just happened. Very little closure. You know what? They had a choice as a family through that setting. Through that story. Is to trust God or not. Brent and Marlena had their trailer burn. Lost everything they owned, basically. Life was dark. It was a dark night. It was a dark couple of days, wasn't it? And then last Sunday, we had a family that left this place, just like all of us are going to leave today. And they drove just a couple miles down the road, and their whole world changed. And they had a choice as a family. They had a choice as a family to continue to trust or to allow this to erode their trust. And I wanted to just say this here. So, and all of you came through these and there was probably other things that happened and I don't intend to miss anything if I did. But Mel and Lil st- st- stood steadfast in their trust of who their Heavenly Father was. Brent and Marlena stayed steadfast. The Miller family stayed steadfast. I just want to say this. If there's any credit to be given to faith, I think it goes to Dave Miller, the father of this family. I have never seen a person in my life ever, and Dave's not here, and I would say this if he was here. I have never seen a person with as much faith as Dave has. Never. I have never seen it. From the minute I was at the hospital until the last time I've talked to him, Dave just had this steadfast faith that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be good. And he believed it. He claimed it. He lived it. He had that attitude. I never saw his faith. I never saw his trust one time waver through the whole thing. Through the whole thing. When his daughter was lying there and we walked into ICU and she looked horrible and was in a coma. At this point, it was a medically induced coma, but things were not good. Multiple skull fractures. His faith and his trust in the Heavenly Father stayed strong. Here's what the Bible says about this time, this exact time on the cross. Matthew 27, now verse 45. It says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. Talk about darkness. They experienced darkness. And listen, you and I are going to experience dark times. We're going to experience times when the sun seemingly has set. And for some of us, for some of you, it seems like the sun has set for a very long time. There was darkness From the sixth hour until the ninth ninth hour. It was darkness at midday. It was almost as as if God said this: I am not gonna allow the sun to shine on this event. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. In a loud voice. And here's what you need to understand. It wasn't just a loud voice in the way I'm speaking. In a loud voice in the Greek. It meant he screamed out. He literally screamed out. And this is where we see a shift. In Jesus' whole, not his attitude, but in the way that he approached everything. Up until this point, Jesus had done very little. He allowed them to beat him, and he blessed him. He allowed to spit on him, and he prayed for him, and all these things. They drove stakes through his hands, through his wrists, and through his feet. And Jesus responded with love and forgiveness and actually calmness. But at this point, Jesus doesn't break, but we see him more as a human. We see him in deep, deep agony. It says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He screamed out, and it was the moment that God withdrew his presence from Jesus. And listen, we will never understand how this works, because this verse opens up this whole theological nightmare, right? If Jesus was God, and they're one, and they're on this Trinity, how could God remove himself from himself? I don't know. And I don't know if it even matters that much, but we do know at this moment, Jesus felt like God had forsaken him. And he cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know for this moment that Jesus felt completely alone. He felt like God had completely turned his back. And in reality, I believe that God did completely turn his back because at this moment, Jesus took on your sin and he took on my sin and he carried it and God could not even look at it. And I don't know how that all works out in theology and how that all works out with them being one and Jesus being God, but we also know that Jesus was 100% man. But at this moment, Jesus cries out, screams out in a loud voice, And it's interesting that all through scripture, all through scripture, Jesus refers to his heavenly father, to God as father. He he refers to him as Abba Father, which is daddy. He always refers to him as his father. Father, close relationship. And in this instant, he doesn't refer to him as father. He refers to him as God, as his God. How did God forsake his son? And I don't know how that all works out again, but it became dark. And here's the question for you and I, is when it becomes dark, when we go through difficult times, and you know what, here's the thing, we go through things sometimes that make us question God that have no comparison to this. We go through financial hardships, and we think, God, how can this happen? How can you allow this to happen? Or we go through, whatever it might be, we go through a sickness, or we have health problems, or we have relationship problems, or we have marriage problems, and we question God and we say, God, where are you in all of this? And it seemingly is dark. Here's the reality. The reality is, is we, we have to understand that we will not always understand. In fact, I could even say this. We have to understand that there are many times that we will not understand. And I would venture to say this. I would venture to say that Mel and Lil will never understand this side of heaven. Why they lost their son. How can that ever make sense in an earthly way? So we understand when someone is older and they pass, because we know that's the the natural thing of life. And although it's hard, we get it, we understand it, but when a person that is young tragically dies, there are no answers. And what happened with, with Brents and what happened with the Millers, we may never understand. In fact, I would say we probably won't understand. And we have to get to the point where we're okay with saying, God, I don't have... To understand, I don't have to understand why my marriage is such hard work. I don't have to understand why she is so hard to love or why he is so hard to love. But that's what you've called me to, right? And because, God, you have called me to it, I'm going to do it. Some of you guys are grinning like that's true. Or, God, I don't understand Why? We've gone through this financially. I don't understand why you've asked me to bear this burden. And God is saying, you know what? You may never, ever understand, but I have a purpose. I have a plan. And I just want you to trust me. I just want you to trust me even when it's dark. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. When he's comparing now to eternity. And see, that's generally, or mostly our problem, I should say. Is we don't think of things in the light of eternity. We think of things in light of now. He says this, now, right now, presently. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. In fact, we're looking in a mirror that is just dirty, right? It's not an accurate reflection of what's going on. A poor reflection as in a mirror. And then he says, then which is in eternity then we shall see face to face now i know in part then i shall know i shall know fully right now i can only see a part then i shall know fully even as i am fully known we just can't understand right now we will understand at one point on the other side of eternity we are often incapable of understanding God and his divine purposes and his divine plan. And that's where trust comes in. That's where faith comes in. Here's what God says in Isaiah 55:8 8 through 9. And you guys have heard these verses. This is an awesome verse. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, God says, I don't think the way you think. You think differently than the way I think. How many of you guys that are married understand that your wife thinks completely different? Right? Yeah. They think completely differently. And you can observe and hear and see the same things and come away with a completely different take. Right? Or, guys, we can say something very, very clearly and they interpret it completely whacked. Right? Yeah. And see, God is saying this. He's saying, listen, I think different than you think. I don't think the way that you think. Neither are your ways my ways. I do things differently than you do or would do, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But the good news is this, is that God gives us, that the scripture gives us some amazing things to remember when things are dark. Amazing things to remember when we have have trouble trusting him. We're going to go through this really quickly. How do we get to a place in life where we're wondering, where is God at? Where is God at in these circumstances? Where is God at in my lack of job? Where is my, my God at in my lack of ability to find work? Where is my God at in my health issues? Where is my God at in my tragedy? Where is God at in my relationship? Where is God at in this hurt? How do we move from a place where we're wondering where God is? and a place that we're struggling with trust. To a place that we say God is good. This is what we do. We cling to a God who is unchanging. The same God that was in scripture. The same God that was present at this time of year. 2,000 some years ago. The same God that was present when Jesus died on the cross. And then allowed him to be buried and raised him from dead. We cling to that God. And here's the deal for you and I today. And I believe this. There's probably some of you here today that are saying, you know what, right now things are good. The sunshine is shining in my life. God's smile is present. And I just want to tell you something. If that's where you are and things are good and God is good and God is present, enjoy it. And live there thankfully with gratefulness, because I can promise you it won't always be that way. But for some of you here today, things are dark, and I don't know what maybe it is. It can be little things, it can be big things, maybe things are dark, and you're hurt, and you're confused, and you wonder, where is God? It doesn't line up with my theology of how God operates. And this is for you here's what we need to do is we need to remember three things and the first thing is this is that God is good that God is simply good God is good Mark chapter 10 verse 18 says this no one is good except God alone no one is good except God alone he is good He is good. And you know what so much of this comes back to, how we think about God and if we trust Him and if we have faith in Him or not, is it comes back to one thing for me, is do I believe what Scripture says? Do I believe it? Do I choose to believe what Scripture says no matter what's going on? And see, what we try to do and what we so often do if we're not careful is we try to project our present, we try to project our circumstances onto God. Right, And we judge who God is and what he's like based on our circumstances. And even sometimes when our circumstances are our own fault. And we have to be able to lay that aside and say, you know what? Scripture says God is good. I believe God is good. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to live it. God is good. Bottom line. No matter what's going on. And when life is good, God is good. When life is gray, God is good. When life is really bad, God is good. Then the second thing that we need to remember is God is for me. God is for me. Romans 8, 31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? He's the creator of the universe. He is everything you could ever imagine. He made you. He created you. He molded you. Psalms tells us that he knew you before you were even formed. That he formed you in your mother's womb. That he knew everything about you. That he has a plan for you. And this verse says, if he is for you, which he is then who in the world could ever be against you? No set of circumstances, no tragedy, nothing that could ever happen could change it. God is for you. He's your teammate. He wants the best for you. Remember that God is good. We Remember that he is always for us. And thirdly, we, we remember that he is with us, that he is with me. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's amazing news. You know what? Last night, Madison has this little kitty. And for some reason, as it's getting older, every time the garage door goes up, it'll run outside and it'll run into the woods and then it's scared to death of our dogs and it, will, it refuses to come back to the house and into the garage. Right? And it'll just kind of stay out on the outskirts. Pretty close, but it will not c- come out from cover. And so the thing was gone a lot yesterday afternoon. And as evening came along, Madison starts freaking out a little bit about her kitty. And she's like, Dad, we've got to find the kitty. And so we went outside and we looked for it. And I said, well, let's just wait a little bit. Left the garage door up. Maybe it'll come back. And about 9.30, the thing was still not back. So we go outside with a spotlight. And sometimes I can see its eyes like on the edge of the woods, right? And we'll find it. Well, last night, we couldn't find it. Um, but Madison would not go outside in the dark without me. She didn't want to go outside in the dark without me. And then we were out there and she said, Dad, I think I hear it meowing down by the chicken coop and it was about 40 feet off down in there. And I was in socks and I said, well, I'll hold the spotlight. You go down there. She said, no, Dad, come with me, right? And see, here's the thing. You know what my daughter wanted to know? She just wanted to know that her dad was with her. She just wanted to know that I was with her. And that's how you and I are. We just want to know that our father is with us. And God is saying, I'm with you. When it's dark, I'm with you. When it's sunshiny, I'm with you. When tragedy hits, I'm I'm with you. He's like a father. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's good news. God is good. He is for you. And He is with you. So here's the question for you and I Do you trust your Heavenly Father? Do you trust God? Do you really, really trust him? Because it is very easy to trust God when it's light. But it is extremely difficult sometimes to trust God when it's dark. Do you trust him? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. and You guys, you guys know these verses. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know why we don't lean on our own understanding? is because sometimes we don't understand everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. This word acknowledge means to just simply know him. In all your ways, know him. Get to know him. Get to know him. Know who he is. Know what he's like. Understand his character. Not from circumstances, but from the truth of scripture. Know who he is. Here's what happens in your life, in my life, the better we get to know God. And this is so important. This is so important. And I just want to say, when I talk with Dave, you know, one of the first things that he talked to me about on on Sunday night, this was just after the accident happened and everything was up in the air. There's no closure to anything. One of the first things that Dave said to me when I got to the hospital and we talked was exactly what I'm going to talk to you about right now. He said, I just want to know what God is trying to do in this situation. And that is the voice and the question that we all need to ask. As you get to know God better, when things are not the way they should be, we shouldn't ask the question. Why, the less, the better we get to know God, the less I ask why, and the more I ask what. Does that make sense? See, our tendency is this: is we ask it in an accusing way, say, why would you do that? God, why is this happening? Why would you allow this? Why are you not what I thought you were? And the right question as we get to know God is not why God, because we may never know, but we should say, What? God, what? Are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to take away from this place? What is is your plan for what's going on? Not why, but what? What are you doing? God, what are you doing? God, what is your purpose? God, what is your plan? Not why, but what? And you may ask the question, Why did God forsake Jesus? Why did God turn his back on Jesus on the cross? And and listen, it's not about why he did it, it's about what he was doing. And I've already talked to you a little bit about what he was doing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us what was going on. It said, God made him who was Jesus, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us. That is what was going on. Jesus was becoming sin so that in Him, we, you and I, me, so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Did you know this? And you guys know this. But here's what's so incredible about the story of the cross and what God was doing on the cross. is He was taking our sin and everyone's sin and Jesus was bearing it. Jesus was becoming our sin. The sin of the world. So that... When God looks at us and God sees us, he doesn't see us as sinful, but he sees us as righteous. Did you know that if you're a Christian today and you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you the way that I look at you, he doesn't look at the, the way your friend looks at you, or he doesn't even look at you the way you look at yourself. He sees you as righteous, as holy, in jesus not because of anything you've done or haven't done but when god looks at you your sin is not visible to him if you're a christian now listen that is really hard for us to get a hold of that's hard for me to get a hold of but it is the truth of the gospel it says it right in this verse god made him who had no sin to be sin for us why So that in him we might be the righteousness of God. That's amazing. That's what God was doing when he allowed Jesus to die on a cross. And so you know what? For some of you that know me well, you look up. You, you maybe are sitting there today and you look at me and you're saying, man, he is not that righteous. I know him. My wife looks at me and she says, he's not that righteous. I know him. I know what he did two days ago. My kids look at me as a father and they say, you know what? He's a pretty good guy, but he's not righteous. Because I make mistakes and I sin and I have struggles. But you know what? When God looks at me, you know what he sees? He says, a righteous man. I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps. That's what was going on. Jesus became sin so that in him we could be righteous. So no matter, no matter what you're going through, doesn't matter what you're going through. And in this room, there's all kinds of variations of things going on. Some of you, things are really good. Things will not always be good. I can promise you. Because life has its ebbs and flows and it has its seasons. And we've been there where things have been really bad and we've been there where things are really good. And just, just listen, if you're on top of the mountain, enjoy the ride. Thank God every day. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that things are good because you've done things right. You just thank the Lord that things are good. Thank Him that your kids are well. Thank Him that you have health. Thank Him that there's money in your checkbook. Thank Him that you have a car. Thank Him that you have friends. Thank Him that you have a home to live in. And I'm just thinking right now that most of you that think things aren't good probably have all those things. Right? But if you're here today and things aren't so good, and there are some struggles, just remember that God is good. God is for you, and God is with you. Very basic, very simple. Let me pray with you.